It is great to be with you today and worshiping uh, this morning. It is a great day to, to be here, and I'm, I'm excited to be continuing our series that we uh, have been calling The Anatomy of Love. We've been talking just about marriage. We've been talking about relationships, and uh, and it really has been. Um, I, I've enjoyed being able to see some of the, the wedding pictures that have come in and just uh, having some uh, really good conversations in the process as well. So grateful to have all of you here today. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to play a quick game um, as we kind of, uh, a couple's game, as we start off our, uh, our uh, time here together. This morning, so I need I need two couples to volunteer. If you'd be willing to come up, we're going to play the newlywed game and see how well you know your spouse. And so, if you don't volunteer, I'm just going to end up having to. There you go. I'm going to have to just pick it. So I need I need two volunteers, two volunteer couples to come on up. Who are you pointing to, Jim? Oh, Rod and Maggie. All right, you guys come on up here, Rod and Maggie. Come on up, give them a big hand. All right, and we need a couple that's been together not quite as long as Rod and Maggie. So, uh, Jenna and Shane? Jenna and Shane, get on up here, come on up. All right. Yeah. All right, so, Rod, Rod, Rod and Maggie, how long have you guys been married? 42 and a half years, Shane and Jenna. Less than 42 and a half. All right. So, what? <laughs> yeah. So, what we're going to do is we are going to ask a series of questions and see how well you know your spouse. So, Shane and uh, Rod, I'm going to have you guys go with my wife. You're going to go head to my office in a secluded area, and then we will call you back in just a few minutes. Say goodbye to the gentleman. We will see you guys later. All right. I'm going to give these. I have a marker for you as well. All right, once the, once the guys are securely out of the room, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you a series of questions about your husband, and then we're going to invite him to come back in and see how he answers. So you're going to just write your answer on the, on the page, and we're going to see how well you know Rod and how well you should. All right? So the very first question I'm going to ask you is, what is your husband's favorite flavor of ice cream? Your husband's favorite flavor of ice cream. So just write it down, real big letters for us. Your husband's favorite flavor of ice cream. All right, number two. So you can, you can flip it over to the next page. Oh, that's all right. We'll, we'll have you share it once, uh, once he's back in the room. All right, the second one, number two is, what annoying habit does your husband have? What annoying, you need, you need more than one sheet. All right, that, that, all right, pick, pick your number one, your number one annoying habit that your husband, you're writing a lot over there, you, like, I, she, 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 all right, well, all right, hopefully we won't need counseling after, uh, after service today, all right. Number three, what is your husband's favorite movie? What is your husband's favorite movie? All right. Number four, if your husband could be any superhero, who would he be? If your husband could be any superhero, 
Guy, I saw you talking to him. Guy, who would you be? Guy, who would you be? I see you talking over there. What superhero would you be? Spider-Man? Spider of course. Of course. All right. And number five, the last question. What is your husband afraid of? What? <laughs> what? What? <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Jim, can you go get our guys to come back in here? All right. Make, make, how, many, how confident are you? How many do you think you, how many out of five do you think he's going to get? You think three out of five. All right. Jenna, how many is Shane going to get? Three out of five. All right. Three out of five. That, that's more than half. So, so that's all right. We, first service, we had one couple that thought so, so that's all right. So can we give the guys a great big hand as they come back in the room? All right. Now, don't let them see your answer. You're going to reveal your answer after we ask them the question, all right? So come stand next to your lovely wives. And gentlemen, just so you know, Maggie thinks you're going to get three out of five correct. Shane? Jenna thinks you're going to get three out of five correct. So we will see how well our, your wives know you. All right, so gentlemen, first question for you. What is your favorite flavor of ice cream? Rod, what, what is your favorite flavor of ice cream? Chocolate. Chocolate. What, Maggie, what did you say? She said the opposite. She said vanilla. All right. <laughs> all right. That's okay. That's all right. For, maybe you just need like 44 and a half years or something like that. To, all right, that's, that's all right. All right, Shane, favorite flavor of ice cream? Butter pecan. Jenna? Mint chip. All right. That, that, that's okay. Like, you, you, you seemed confident when you were writing it down. So I, that, that's all right. All right, number two. And I got to warn you on this one, Shane. What annoying habit does your husband have? Jenna was writing a lot. I'm, I'm just warning you. So, Shane... Shane, what, is, what would Jenna say your most annoying habit has got to be? Probably too many open projects. Too many Starting but not finishing projects. All right. All right. Rod, what would Maggie say is your most annoying habit? Not letting you finish a sentence. Oh. <laughs> All right. Oh. Sings too loud. All right. <laughs> that... that <laughs> That's okay. That's all right. That's all right. You, you can still get these last three and, 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 and get uh, what, what Maggie thought you were going to have. All right. No, number three. Is there a prize? You, you get a handshake. Oh, okay. So, all right. Or, or free counseling, one or the other. Um, yeah. <laughs> what is your favorite movie? So, Rod, you go first. What, what's your favorite movie? Hmm. Ma Maggie's like, she's willing. She's like, just say it. Please say it. Please say it. Star Wars. <laughs> all right, Maggie says Zulu. All right. Uh oh. Just, all right, right. That, that's okay. That's all right. All right, Shane. What is your favorite movie? The Empire Strikes Back. The Empire Strikes Back. Star Wars: The Empire Strikes Back. All right. All right. You can't let them show you up. All right. All right. Num number four. Rod, if you could be any superhero, who would you be? If you could be any superhero, any superhero, who would you be? I think I'm in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Superman. All right. Good job. All right. Shane, Shane, what superhero would you be? Iron Man? Wolverine. All right. That's okay. That, that, that's all right. So you guys still have two. You still have two. All right. Last one. Shane, I'll start with you. Shane, what are you afraid of? Yeah. What are you afraid of? Or what, what would Jenna say you're afraid of? Jenna. All right. <laughs> yeah! There you go. <laughs> All right. And that was three. Good call. Good call. All right. Rod, what would Maggie say you are afraid of? All right. Well, take take a stab. What what what's the one thing she th she would say? Well, maybe it's the same as over there. Yeah. <laughs> Says nothing. All right. Rod, Rod, Rod is not afraid. That that's okay. So, can we give our guys a big hand? All right. So what I'm going to do? I'm going to collect these and ladies. I'm going to have you exit the room and go to my office real quick. If you would, can we say goodbye to the ladies as you go? Yeah. <laughs> You're not feeling so confident about this one? All right. What I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you a different set of questions, and you're going to write down the answer that you think your lovely wives will respond to. All right? So they are back in my office. They can't hear what we're talking about. All right. Are you ready? What is your wife's favorite actor or actress? Your wife's favorite actor or actress? <laughs> favorite actor or actress? You might just have to take a stab in the dark. Yeah. <laughs> No, no. <laughs> She's not a Tom Cruise fan. All right. <laughs> All right. Sh should we ask your son for help? Sean Connery. All right. Sean Connery. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Sean Connery. All right. Number two. If your wife was picking where you're going on vacation, where would she want to go? So where, where would your wife want to go on vacation? All right, number three. How does your wife like her coffee? How does your wife like her coffee? All right, number four. If your wife won the lottery, what's the first thing she would do with the money? If your wife won the lottery, what's the very first thing she would do with it? And number five, the last one, what is your wife's favorite holiday? Your wife's favorite holiday. Jim, if you would go retrieve the ladies, please. All right, Shane, how confident do you feel? Four out of five. All right, I like that. Four out of five. Rod, three out of five. All right, that, that's all right. That's all right.
That's all right. All right. As the ladies come back in, let's give them another great round of applause. Welcome back. All right. Come on down. All right. Jenna, I got to tell you, the pressure is on. Because Shane feels really confident. He thinks four out of five. Maggie Rod says three out of five. All right? So I think you can do it. I, I, I believe in you. So, ladies, first question. Who is your favorite actor or actress? So, Jenna, I'll start with you. Who's your favorite actor or actress? Stephen Collins. Stephen Collins. The guy from Seventh Heaven. The guy from Seventh Heaven. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, Maggie. And and we we got a little help from the uh, from the audience back there in the sound booth. So Maggie, your favorite actor or actress? Julie Andrews said Sean Connery. All right. All right. So that was good. All right. Number two. Number two. All right. If you were going to pick where you were going to go on vacation, you could go, go on vacation anywhere you want. Where would you go? Maggie, we'll start with you. Where would you go? The Smoky Mountains? Smoky Mountains. All right. Good job. Jenna, where would you go? You can go anywhere on vacation. Harry Potter. Harry Potter, Wizarding World? California. All right. California, where my brother is. I don't think... Well, we'll give you half points for that. Half points. All right. Number, number three. All right. <laughs> Ladies, how do you like your coffee? Jenna, we'll start with you. How do you like your coffee? She hates coffee. All right. She knows very well. Maggie, how do you like your coffee? Decaf. Decaf. But black? I I, <laughs> I... Yeah. That's all right. You're you're doing you're doing okay. You're doing all right. Number all right. Number four. Th this one this one we got. This one we got. If you won the lottery, what's the very first thing you would do with the money? Maggie, we'll start with you. What what's the first thing you would do if you won the lottery? A trip to Europe. A trip. To <laughs> you're doing all right. You're doing all right. All right, Je Je Jenna. What? Jenna, what would you do, the very first thing you would do if you won? Yeah, if you won the lottery. Probably pay to have our house finished. Pay to have the house finished? Donate to the church or charity. So, wrong answer, Jenna. That's the very first. You think very highly of Yeah. <laughs> All right, that's okay. All right, num number five. That was the second thing. Yeah, there, there, there you go. Number five, what's your favorite holiday? Maggie, what's your favorite holiday? All right, good job. And Jenna? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving? Shane says Christmas. That's all right. <laughs> can, can we give both couples a great big hand? Thank you guys so much. I appreciate you being willing to play. You guys can go ahead and take a seat. I appreciate you guys being good sports. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Jenna. I appreciate you taking that. So, well, as we are getting into our, our message today, talking about marriage, talking about relationships, I wanted to share something that I came across this week that I really found kind of fascinating. It was just some interesting statistics. What, what are the odds of certain things happening in your life? So, so for example, the, the first one is 
you have a 1 in 1,232,000 chance of being struck by lightning. That's fairly rare. I don't need to worry about that too much. Your odds of being killed in a plane crash are 1 in 11 million. All right, so flying is fairly safe. 1 in 11 million are odds of dying in a plane crash. Your odds of finding a four-leaf clover is 1 in 10,000. Think of St. Patrick's Day. We just passed 1 in 10,000. You'll find a four-leaf clover. Your chances of being audited by the IRS. Chuck. No. <laughs> they, they say about 1 in 220. All right, 1 in 220 people will be audited by the IRS. All right. About 1 in 100 people are ambidextrous, that they can, they can write with, uh, just as well with their right hand as they can with their left. March Madness. All right, Forbes magazine says of filling out a perfect bracket, your odds are 1 in 9.2 quintillion. <laughs> I don't even know what a quintillion is, but that's not very likely. All right, you are more likely to die from a vending machine falling on you than you are from a shark attack. So that's good news. That's good news. And the last thing, or, or, I'm, oh, I'm sorry, it's two more. Your odds of being attacked by a bear are 1 in 2.1 million. Bears don't want much to do with you, but this one was actually kind of shocking, kind of, kind of nerve-wracking. Your odds of being injured by a toilet is 1 in 10,000. And I don't know what that means, to, to, to be injured by your toilet. That's just what the stat said. 1 in 10,000. But... Thinking about this, right now in America, and depending on what surveys you, you read or, or what studies that you, um, you take a look at, right now about a one in two chance of marriages not making it. There's about a 50% chance, or about 50% of marriages don't end up making it, nearly, nearly one in two, and, that, and that's, a, that's a horrifying number. It's, it's a really scary number, and that's not to, to shame anyone, not, not by any means at all. Like, I think all of us can agree, nobody, excuse me, nobody sets out on, on their wedding day thinking, all right, we're going to be one of the, the 50% of, of marriages that don't make it. No, nobody thinks that at all. And it's also um, not, not, to, not to say that there's not legit reasons for divorce as well. Obviously, Scripture talks about that there are different guidelines and examples for why divorce can happen. But it's also not, not to put anybody down. You're not damaged goods because you've been divorced or, or anything like that. It's just, it's just a, a, a saying that this is a really important topic. It's, it's a very important topic for us to talk about, for us to, to discuss, because we need wisdom in our relationships. We, we, need, we need God's insight. We need His, his thoughts, His favor. We, we need God healing our, our relationships. And ultimately, we need to hear God's heart for our marriages and God's heart for our relationships. And as I mentioned last week, marriage is not, is not our idea. Mar marriage was God's idea. It was God's thought. It wasn't something that we came up with. It's not something that we in invented at all. And, and when it comes to marriage, it would be wise for us to really kind of hear from the one who created it, to hear from the one whose idea it was in the first place. And so where I want to begin this morning is, is taking a look at something that God said at the very, very beginning about marriage, and it's something that Jesus echoed later in his ministry as well. And so if you're 
following along in your, um, on, on, your, uh, on the LSC app, if you're taking notes or if you're taking notes in your bulletin, the first thing I want to share is that marriage should be about we, not me. Marriage should be about we, not me. And, and let me say from, from the outset about this point, God has created every single one of us with our own individual quirks, and personalities, our different strengths, our different uh, weaknesses that we bring to our, our marriage, different attributes that we have. And that's a beautiful thing. We, we've been fearfully and wonderfully made. But along with that, we, you know, uh, we don't cease being an individual when we get married. Like we, we still very much have our own personality. We still have our own uh, agency. We still have our own preferences and, and, and all of that. And we bring those things into the marriage. But... But us as individuals, we, we, when, when we look at marriage, we, we subordinate ourselves as individuals to what is better for us as a whole, what's better for our spouse, what's better for us as, as a married partnership. And, and last week when I shared about marriage being God's idea, I talked about how when uh, Adam was in the garden, God looked and said, all right, it's not good for Adam to be alone. And so he created Eve for, for Adam someone for him to be able to engage in, in relationship with, that, that he can have companionship and, and intimacy and closeness, like a, a relationship that he can have closer with, with, with her than anybody else. And a few verses later, after God creates Eve, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, it says, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. They become one flesh. That, that God says that, that Adam and Eve, when, when, when two people become married, they become one flesh. It's no longer Pat as an individual and Angela as an individual. We now become united together. We become one. And, and this is not a great example, but it, I was trying to think about all right, what, what's, a, what's a way to kind of illustrate this or, or talk about this in a way. And it made me think about like growing up in the 80s. How many 80s kids out there remember the box of crayons? that had the sharpener in them. Yeah, like, didn't you love those? Like, those were awesome. We, we, you know, they were fantastic. You were super jealous if one of your friends had one and you did not have the kind that had the sharpener in it. And, and like, what would happen with crayons is you'd sharpen it as, as much as you could, but then eventually the crayon would become too small and you couldn't sharpen it anymore. And so you could do a, one of a couple things with it. You could just throw the, the crayon pieces away. You could do what me and my friends did at Richards Elementary School, and we took the crayons into the bathroom with us, and we melted them on the radiator. And, like, they smelled bad, and I'm sure the janitor and the, the custodians just loved me and my friends <laughs> when, when we were in, in grade school. But one of the things that my mom would do is she would take, like, uh, muffin tins, and we would take these little bits of crayon, and we would melt them together. And, and so you would get something that looks kind of like this. It, it's this this molding that this, uh, of, of these different colored crayons together. And, and while, while you can kind of, you can see the characteristics of the original crayons there, you can still see the colors, you can see the, the red or the, the pink or the, the yellow that's in there. But at the same time, these two separate entities have now been fused together. They've created one brand new crayon in the middle of this. And so you can see those characteristics that are there, but now they're fused together, and, and you can't separate them back as how they were before. And I said this, it's not a, it's not a great example, but, it, but it, was, it was one of the things that I had thought of uh, in that, of what does it look like for us to take 
two distinct separate things and put them together like this, where we can still see those unique personality traits that are, that are in there. Now, Jesus actually, he, he quotes Genesis chapter 2 when he's speaking to some Pharisees. The Pharisees came and they talked with, with Jesus, and they were asking him about marriage, and they were asking him about divorce. And in Matthew chapter 19, verse 5 and 6, he, he quotes Genesis 2. He says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two. So he, he quoted Genesis 2, and then he goes on to say, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. He reiterates it again. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Like he adds something on, on the end of, of, that, of that teaching there. They said they're no longer two, but they're now one flesh. And what God has put together, let no one separate. Let no one pull apart. And, and this is kind of why marriage is, is a big deal. It's not something for us to enter into lightly in, in any way. Because while we don't stop being an individual, now the needs of the marriage supersede my own personal needs, my own needs as, as an individual. You know, Angela's needs ought to take a higher priority in my life than, than my own needs. And I, and I wish I would say, and I wish I could tell you that, that I always do that really well. I wish I could always say, all right, I, I always elevate Angela's needs and, and serve her and, and, and take care of her needs above my own. I, I wish I could say that. I don't always do it. I, I endeavor to. That, that's, that's what I aspire to. That's, that's what my goal is. My goal is to make her, my goal is to make us more important than me. But we all fail in that at times too. And it should be the same the other way. An Angela should, should have that same mindset about me and about our marriage over her own personal needs too. The two becoming one is really, if we're honest, it's tricky business. It's really hard to do because there's, there's constant give and take. There's constant compromise that has to happen. Constant balancing and, and managing the tension of, of how, do we, how do we make this work? How do we take two very different people, different backgrounds, different histories, diff different baggage that we bring and put us together and create one new entity, one new unit? How do we make it work? It's a very difficult thing. And, and, and one of the things, and if you're taking notes, this is the next thing I wanted to share, is that marriage is a covenant, not a contract. Marriage, it's a covenant, not a contract. Marriage is not just a piece of paper that, that a justice of the peace or a judge or a pastor signs off on. And here, here you go, like this, this is your marriage contract. Marriage is way more than, than just something that we sign off on. There's a big difference between a covenant and a contract because a, a contract is based on what a, a contract is based on on mutual distrust it's saying all right I, I don't know that i can trust you to to fulfill your end of the bargain so i'm asking you to sign this piece of paper that that is going to specify exactly what it is that you're going to do what 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 the expectations are i you know i don't fully trust you and, and so in signing this contract you're you're telling me that you are going to be faithful to do what you said you were going to do. I think, think of like get, maybe getting some work done on your house. Like if, if somebody was going to come and cut down some trees or maybe put in like a new driveway or something like that, there's going to be a contract that is signed. It says, all right, this is the work that I'm going to do. This is how much the work is going to cost. This is what, how long I feel that it's going to take to do. And if somebody doesn't fulfill their end of the deal, if somebody doesn't fulfill their end of the contract, well, then you, you, could, you could technically sue them for breach of that contract because they didn't 
fulfill, they didn't uh, fulfill their end of the bargain. They didn't do what they said they were going to do. But that's not what, that's not what marriage is. Marriage is not a contract, but marriage is a covenant. And, and a covenant is not based on mutual distrust, but a covenant is based on mutual commitment. Covenant is based on mutual commitment, that we're both in this with 100% of our being. In fact, the Hebrew word for covenant is verity, which means a, a cutting, a cutting. And if you look at the Old Testament, whenever a, a covenant is established, whenever a covenant is created, it always accompanies a, a, a cutting. There, there's a, a shedding of blood that, that an animal would be sacrificed to kind of seal the deal on, on this covenant. And if you think about like the new covenant, what it is, when Jesus, the Lamb of God, when he, when he bled through his, through his blood, the old covenant was passed away, and now a new covenant was ushered in through the shedding of blood. And in fact, often in, in the Old Testament, if a, if a man and woman were getting married, they would stand before a, a priest of God, and the priest would take out a knife and, and cut the, the groom's hand, and he'd cut the, the bride's hand, and they would hold hands together. And oftentimes they would take a cord and, and wrap the hands together, and so the, the, the blood, the two distinct Blood's what Leviticus talks about, the, you know, there being life in the blood. These two distinct areas were now becoming united as one. They were now going to be united as, as one. And, and, and so thank God we, we do unity candles now instead of cutting hands. Like, that's not, a, that's not a, 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 a tradition I would be all that excited about doing in, in doing a wedding. But I want to be careful here because obviously there, there are some kids in the room here and I want to, I want to talk carefully about this. But, but in a perfect world too, in, in God's perfect world, the, the bride and the groom, when they go to consummate the marriage, the, the, the woman's hymen being stretched or, or torn and they're being blood again. It, it's, it's kind of this new covenant again that is taking place that, that's being sealed by the shedding of blood. It, it's another symbol between a husband and a wife. It's, it's one of the reasons that, that lovemaking is, is, is beautiful. It's righteous. It's, it's holy. It's, it's reserved for marriage because you are making a covenant connection, a covenant relationship with someone else. Marriage is, is a covenant. It's not a contract. It's not 50-50. It's 100-100. We are all in this together. I'm, I'm bringing everything that I have to the table, and I'm giving it. I, I would even argue that, that marriage is not so much a do unto others as you would have them to do to you, but more a do unto others what Christ did for you, what Christ did for you. He sacrificed. He gave his life. He, he gave everything he had to us, and, and that's what we do in the context of marriage, and, and so the, I want to kind of switch gears here just a, a little bit here as, as we kind of steer this message, because I want to share something that I alluded to last week when I was talking about marriage being a partnership, that we have two very different people, two very different uh, personalities and, and everything coming together as one, and, and what does it look like for us to operate together from, till death do us part? looking at, at our marriage as we and not me anymore, about our marriage being a covenant and not a contract. And, and in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul writes about marriages. And, and in this passage, this very famous passage that Paul is talking about in marriage, he begins 
this passage, this portion talking about marriage by saying in, in Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, I, I need to apologize because I said the S word in church because the, that word submit can often be um, not looked on very fondly. Like there, there's, there's a lot of times we, we hear that word and it creates some, some friction or some anxiety when we hear about this idea of submission because it's been misused, it's been abused through the centuries of, about what, what does submission look like? And it's actually been, been I, I would say, distorted in a lot of ways, but it can actually be an incredibly beautiful concept. And so this morning, I, I want to kind of uh, redeem, if, if we can, that, that word submission. What does it look like for us to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ? What does that mean? Mutual submission. Not, not one person dominating the other, but submitting to one another. Surrendering to one another. Showing deference towards each other. It's, in a way, it's kind of saying, all right, not my will, but I want your will to be done. Submission. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of voluntarily placing my needs and my desires and subordinating those to, to yours. Submission is, isn't blind obedience, but it's, it's loving sacrifice. That, that's what I would argue submission is. Not blind obedience, but loving sacrifice. It's laying down what's best for me what's, for what's best for you. And God's design is for both parties to, to participate in that. For both parties to, to submit to one another in reverence for God. And, and I don't think I can overstate how just earth-shattering this, this teaching really was. That if you think about Paul and, and his time, like uh, I, I would argue that, that Paul's kind of continuing some of those themes that Jesus initiated. That in, in Jesus' time, women were seen as second-class citizens. Men didn't talk to, to women. Women were, were seen as Oftentimes, it's property. They could, women couldn't own property. They couldn't testify in, in court. They, they, they had no status, no clout, no, no standing at all, no, no prestige. And Jesus, actually, he invited women in. He, he invited them to come be his followers. If you read through the Gospels, most of the, most of the people who supported Jesus in his ministry were women. And so when, when Paul is sitting here and saying, all right, husbands, wives, I want you to submit to one another. I want, I want there to, to, to submit to one another in, in reverence for Christ. How incredibly shocking that would have been in Paul's day. For a man to, to, to submit himself to his wife? Like, are, are you kidding me? Like, that, that, that flew in the face of everything that culture taught in, in that moment. Paul's admonishing husbands and wives, submit to one another. And this was, it was shocking. It was unheard of. And many of you know that before going into ministry, I, I was a teacher. I, I taught for a number of years before going into ministry. And, and, and often, you know, we would teach our kids when we're learning about writing and stuff, about having a good topic sentence. That if you're, if you're writing, you write a good topic sentence that kind of says what it is that you're going to be talking about, and then you, you support that topic sentence with, with other kind of supporting details. You, you flush it out underneath of what your main thesis is. And so in verse 21, I, I kind of think that's what 
Paul is doing here. Verse 21 that we just read, where he's talking about submitting to one another in, in reverence for Christ. That's kind of his topic sentence. He's saying, all right, th- this is what I'm going to be talking about. I'm going to be talking about sub- how do we submit? How do- what does mutual submission mean? And then Paul takes the next number of verses to kind of flush that out, to put some meat on that. All right, what does this look like for wives? What does this look like for husbands? His topic sentence, submit to one another in reverence for Christ. And then he starts to explain what this looks like. And admittedly, this next part is a difficult passage. It's a difficult passage. And so I just ask before you kind of check out on, on me, I, and because you don't like what Paul might be saying here, I ask that you kind of hang on as, as we talk about the nuts and bolts of this passage in its, in its entirety. So in, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, so the next verse after he says, all right, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, he goes on to say, all right, wives, he's going to talk to, to the women first. He says, wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. He's saying, all right, in the same way that, that you submit to God, wives, I want you to submit to your husbands. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, Paul's not saying that the man is the savior of, of his wife. That's not what he's saying. What, he, what he's just trying to say is that, that in the same way that we submit ourselves to Christ, in, in the same way that, that, that we submit ourselves before him, we surrender ourselves to him. Wives, I want you to submit to your husbands. I want you to surrender to them. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And you think, man, that, that's a doozy of a statement right there, isn't it? He's stating that he wants husbands and wives to submit to one another. I just want to reiterate that. So that, that's his, his thesis. Submit to one another. He says, all right, wives, I'm going to talk to you first. Submit to your husbands. In the same way that you've surrendered yourself, you've surrendered your, your life to Christ, I want you to do that same thing with your husband. And, and I would argue that this passage is much more about honor than it is about authority. I, I, would, I would say what Paul's talking about is, is much more about honor than it is authority. He, he's not saying, all right, wives, your husband rules over you. That, that he has authority over you and you just always have to do what he says. That's not what Paul is saying in this moment. Like, I, I could share a ton of scriptures in the New Testament that talks about how we are to serve one another, how we are to elevate the needs of somebody else above our own, not seeking out what's best for me, but what's seeking what's best for someone else. And it, it wouldn't make a lot of sense for Paul to start out by saying, all right, I want you to submit to one another, mutual submission, mutual surrender, but then to go on to say, all right, but wives, he really does have authority over you, so you just need to do exactly what he says. That, that's, that's not what Paul is actually saying here. I think a better interpretation of this passage is when you kind of look at it alongside the totality of Scripture and see how Paul is encouraging wives to view this union as we and not me. That, that's what Paul is saying much more. He's saying, all right, I want you to view the, this husband-wife relationship as we and not me. About serving and loving one another greater than yourself, about putting his needs, putting the needs of us ahead of the needs of you. And, and let me say, this is hard. 
What, what Paul is asking here is an extremely difficult thing, especially, ladies, if you've been hurt, if you've been wounded, if he, if he, if he has not protected you in some way. Because for, for submission to, to work, there has to be trust there. There has to be a, a trust and an understanding. And when that trust has been broken, it can make this topic extremely hard, extremely difficult to do. And I want you to know, I mentioned this last week, that, that if, if you're in that boat, we would love to, to talk with you and pray with you and journey with you about what that looks like. That, that myself and, and our elders, like we, we're here for you. I mean, that, that's what the body of Christ is for that we can support one another, that we can talk and have real conversations about things that are difficult to talk about. How do, how, what does this look like for us? What does it look like for us to, to submit our will to somebody else? To submit our, and, and surrender our, our needs and our desires and our thoughts and our wants for what's best for them, what's best for us as, as a couple. I wanted to kind of share something with you, and this is by no means to, to bring attention to me, but it was, it was something, or to us. But there was something that happened a number of years ago that really illustrated this for me. And, and uh, when, you know, I'd been teaching for a couple of years, and, and we really had been feeling like God was stirring our heart to, to go into ministry, and I eventually had an interview with, with a pastor in a church about 27 miles down 30, 31 here, um, down in Plymouth. And, and after praying about it, after talking about it, really, I really felt like, no, this is the direction God wants us to go. We lived in Milwaukee at the time. We lived four hours away. And no, I really think this is what God wants. And, and I, I, was, I felt really confident in it. Angela did not, did not have that same feeling. She did not have that same level of certainty that I had in that moment. She didn't have that same level of confidence in the decision. But she did something that, that will forever touch me and, and, and bless me, where she said, all right, I can't say for sure that, yes, this is what God wants for us, but I trust you. And if you feel good about it, if you feel confident about it, if you feel like this is what God wants us to do, I'm okay with it. I, I, I trust you. I, I'm, I'm surrendering. I'm submitting myself to you. And this wasn't like a, a domineering, all right, woman, get in line, do what I say, this is, this is how it's going to be. I joke like that sometimes. It doesn't go over very well. I'm just saying. But it was a, no, but I, but Pat, I trust you. And I'm giving myself to you, my, my livelihood. I'm, I'm willing to walk away from my home and my family because because I trust you, that if this is what you feel like we should do, I'm, I'm on board. I'll do it. And, and that, was, that was extremely humbling. When it, for somebody to come and, and hand you their life and say, here, I, I, I trust you. I might not want to do this on my own, but I trust you. It's a humbling thing. And again, I'm not saying this to, to point it at us and, oh, wow, look, they, they've got it all together. Believe me, we don't. We've messed it up way more than I would care to admit and care to share. 
But on the flip side of that, too, it's not just a one-way street. This is a two-way relationship. It's a two-way street. That when we, when, you know, we had been on staff down there in Plymouth for over 11 years, felt like God was stirring our hearts, saying, all right, there's a, there's a change coming. And, and we had talked with, with a couple other churches, and, and there were times Angel said, no, I don't feel good about it. There, there's something that doesn't feel right. There's some flags there. And, and, and my heart of submitting to my wife was saying, all right, I, I trust you. I trust that, that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. I trust that you have discernment and wisdom. And so if, if you don't feel good about it, hey, I'm, I'm okay with that. Like that, 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 There's a give and take that happens when we talk about submission. And so that's the first part. Paul's talking specifically to wives, but then he kind of changes gears a little bit, and he he addresses husbands. And and if I'm honest, I think what he's kind of calling husbands to can even be something that feels more daunting to follow after. In verse 25, he says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Remember, the topic sentence was, all right, submit to one another in reverence for Christ. He's saying, all right, wives, I want you to submit to your husbands, but husbands, here's what, here's what I want you to do. I want you to love your wives just as Christ loved the church, and he gave himself up for her. Husbands, your act of submission is going to love your wife the way that Jesus has loved you, the way that Jesus has loved his church, that he sacrificed. He gave himself up for that church. He gave himself up for you. He sacrificed himself. He didn't follow what his flesh wanted when, when he was wrestling in the Garden of Gethsemane. He didn't, he didn't go with what his flesh wanted in that moment. He submitted himself. He surrendered himself to us. He surrendered his, his will to the Father's will. And what we see in Jesus' life, but especially in his death, is that he continually submits his will for what's best us. He continually submits and surrenders his will for what is best for you and for me and for the church. Like he, he's, he's saying, all right, I, he's telling husbands, you don't rule over your wife, but you serve her. You don't rule over your, your wife, you honor her, you lay down your life, you lay down your desires and your wants and your dreams and your passions for her. That's your role in submission too that you don't rule over her. But in the same way that Christ submitted himself, that Christ surrendered himself, that's what you do for your wife. Like Paul's setting a pretty high bar here for men. Like I'm not calling you just to be a little bit better than that guy who who beats his wife. Well, at least I'm not that guy. No, no, no. He's saying, no, no, no. Your, your bar, men, husbands, is Jesus. <laughs> and that's a, that's a pretty high aim that, he, that he's asking for us. I don't want you to dominate over your wife. I want you to serve her. Surrender your life for her. In the same way that Jesus would do anything for his church. He would do anything for you and for I. He would give anything. He would sacrifice anything. Wives, submit to your husband. Husbands, love your wives. Submit to her in the way that you live out this thing of loving her the way Jesus did. 
that we love and honor and cherish our wives. Mutual submission. That, that's, what, that's what Paul's trying to talk about here. And it's a beautiful thing. Like th- this passage can often make people really uncomfortable. And actually what Paul's describing is a beautiful thing. There's not 50-50. It's no, no, we are 100% in this together. I give, you give. I give, you give. And so I want to I close with one final thought here this morning, and it's reiterating something that I, I spoke on last week. And it's the idea that love is a choice. Submission is a choice. Surrender is a choice. And so often it's not an easy choice. Often it is not one that, that, is, that is easy for us to do. The, the idea of submitting to someone who, who has hurt you, somebody who has broken trust, who's wounded you, like, it, it's a difficult thing to do because submission, surrender, requires trust. And next week, we're going to talk a little bit more and share a little bit more specifics about what this can look like. But what I want to close with this morning and just the question I want to pose and just ask everybody in the room just to, just to take before the Lord and just say, all right, God, what can I do to submit myself, to surrender myself to my spouse? What, what can I do to place her needs ahead of my own? What, what can I do to honor him and place his needs above my own? To elevate us instead of me. To elevate we instead of me. That I'm doing things for her benefit and not mine. That I'm honoring him above myself. So if you would, would you close your eyes and let me just pray for us right now. Lord, I'm so incredibly thankful, God, for the gift of Jesus. God, that that, that your son, that Jesus, you are are the the benchmarker for for us, God. You are are the one that we want to emulate, that we want to live and base our lives after. And God, I'm so thankful for that. I'm so incredibly grateful, Lord, for the way that you that you have demonstrated and shown for us what it looks like, God, that we aren't to, to dominate or rule over one another. There's not a hierarchy here. But God, that as, as you said in, in, in verse 21, that we submit to one another out of reverence for you. And in the same way, God, that, that you've submitted and surrendered your life. God, that's what you're asking us to do. You're asking us to lay down our lives for one another, lay down our lives for our spouse for our husbands, for our wives. And Lord, I, I pray for those in the room this morning that are hearing these words and maybe not externally showing it, but just shaking your head inside and saying, I, I, I don't know if I can do it. I've been hurt. I've been let down. I've been wounded. I, I, what, what you are asking of me is too much right now. Lord, I, I, I pray for healing right now in, in those relationships. I pray for healing in those marriages. God, that we would look for ways to rebuild that trust. We would look for ways to be able to walk towards one another, to to find ways that we can surrender to one another, that trust can be rebuilt. And Lord, that you would give us eyes to see. You would would give us eyes to see that when we look at our spouse, we don't look at at them as an adversary. God, we look at them as, as somebody who is cherished and deeply loved by you. That it's a joy for me to lay down my life, lay down my desires for you. For our spouses to do the same. God, we're so grateful for you, for the example that you've set. 
And we just honor you. We thank you, God. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. My name is Andrew Albright. Uh, some of you probably know me, but many of you may not. For a long time, I used to come in to second service. I'd be lucky if I'd sneak in before Pat started the sermon, and I would make a beeline for that back row back there. Um, for the last year or so, I actually come to first service now. Uh, been a lot of changes in my life, and that's largely due to the fact that about a year ago, my marriage of almost 20 years came to an end. Uh, it's a very painful and hard time for me. It's been a rough year, a lot of, of hurt and fear of the future and just loneliness and other things that going through. Uh, something that Pat said last week about how this series is about marriage, but that there are things in it for us, even if we're not married. The same thing goes for what I have to say, even if you're not facing something like that, there's still things that you go through in your life that have that same pain, that darkness, whether it's the loss of a marriage or the death of a loved one or, you know, just a medical diagnosis or something, something that's really helped me in my time is a verse, Romans 8, 28, it says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Sometimes in the moment, that can feel kind of trite. Well, you know, everything works for the good in the end. But looking back at this last year and seeing the amazing transformation God has done in my life, he has done more work in my life in the last 12 months than I let him do in 30 years before that. I am a different person now than I was then, and all it took was the hardest thing I've ever had to walk through. So just, if I can leave you with nothing else, just remember, God takes those broken pieces, those hurts and those pains, and can turn them into something beautiful. He took the, the jealousy of the leadership in Jesus' day, he took the hatred of the crowd, the anger in that moment, he took the that final blow that Satan struck, that devastating blow of killing his son, and he turned it into the most beautiful gift that mankind has ever received. So if you will, just come forward during this next song and take the communion with us and just remember that gift and remember that no matter what you're going through, no matter what your mess, your brokenness, God will take those pieces and turn them into something beautiful. Thank you.